Uh, We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, When I was was 15 years old, um, my dad was just turning 45, and uh, he was going through what um, maybe we'd describe today as a midlife crisis. And uh, now, instead of going out and, and buying a motorcycle or a sports car, which I think I would have loved if he had done that at that time in my life, instead of doing that, he decided he went out and he bought a book called Four Months to a Four-Hour Marathon. And he decided that he was going to get in shape, that he was going to take control of uh, his, his life and his body. And, and so for the next four months, he began to train. He began to uh, work really hard. He began to uh, exercise. He began to, um, to buy uh, these special running shoes and the special running clothes. And every day, he ran just a little bit more than the day before. And I remember this because it was my job to ride my bike on out ahead of him to the checkpoints and wait for him with water. And to this day, I still remember the look on my dad's face as he would run towards me. And I'll I'll tell you this here, and I've said this to his face, so I'm not telling you this behind his back. Um, My dad is what I would consider to be an ugly runner. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, when he works out, it looks like he is the most miserable human being on the planet. He looks like he's about to die. He's sweating. His face just... And so to this day, how I feel about exercise is directly connected to the look on my dad's face as he's running towards me. Um, And uh, he went and uh, he he trained for four months and he entered a marathon and he finished. Uh, He did it. And now he's one of those guys that uh, is always... Uh, working out, always staying fit, and always wearing a shirt from the last race he ran and making you feel bad about yourself every time you see him. And uh, I look back at my dad's journey on, uh, in planning and training and finally executing his marathon run, and I realize that there's so many, there's so many parallels to uh, a marathon to real life. In fact, the truth is that our lives really are like a marathon. In fact, the author of Hebrews actually compares our lives to a race. He compares our lives to a race of faith. And he challenges us to run that race with endurance. Now, I don't know about you, but endurance isn't something that I think about a whole lot. In fact, when, when life is going well, I don't think about endurance hardly at all because things are going well and things are going great. But it's it's. I think about endurance when life is not going so well, right? When, when we have days where we feel like, man, I wonder if I'm really going to make it today. I wonder if I'm really going to be able to make it through. I, I, I don't see the other side of this thing that I'm facing right now. I don't see how I'm going to get through this challenge that's ahead of me, much less the challenges that are to come. That's when I begin to think about endurance. And... Uh, The author of Hebrews here gives us some intriguing insights in this passage in terms of answering this question. And he says, how how do we make it? How do we make it for the long haul? Right? Because I think we all want 
our lives to be effective and meaningful and vibrant and have purpose, not just for the short term, but for the long haul. Because I think we all have met people in our lives who, who uh, their lives shine brightly for a moment, but then they faded in the long haul. Um, a couple months ago, my, uh, I was visiting my parents in, uh, in western New York, and um, we were just chatting, we were talking, and uh, for some reason, they pulled out our church directory from 1993. <laughs> and uh, for those of you that don't know what a church directory is, <laughs> it was Facebook before Facebook. It was actually a book with faces in it. <laughs> this, is, this is our great idea back in the 90s to get people to know each other. And, um, and so we... Uh, we went back and we were going through this directory and we were just looking through at all the names and all the faces of people that, that we had grown up with, people that were part of our church family back in, in, uh, in the 90s. And my, my parents were, 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 with fond memories, would say, oh, uh, this, this family, uh, they invested in our lives this way. Oh, this, this person, uh, they helped me through this season in my life. It was so beautiful to see uh, them sharing their memories and their stories about all the people who had helped them and, and walked through through different seasons with them in life. And then uh, there were other people that they would say, oh, this person's gone on to be with the Lord, or this person's passed away, or this person moved to California, this person lives here now. But then I would ask them about other names, names of people who I knew were leaders in the church, names of people who I knew were strong Christians, names of people who I knew had served Jesus brightly in, in that time and in that season. I would say, well, what happened to this person? My parents would say, well, that person's not serving Jesus anymore. That person has walked away from their faith. That person is no longer serving Jesus. And as I, it was sobering realization as I began to realize that, that not everyone makes it for the long haul. Some people shine brightly for a moment, but then they fade. And so I think this is a real important question for us as followers of Jesus Christ. How do we develop endurance in our lives? How do we, how do we develop the grit to finish and to finish well? not just to shine brightly for a moment. And so that's what the author of Hebrews looks at here in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's read this starting in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He says this. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance, the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God has spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Would you pray with me one more time this morning? Heavenly Father, today... It's our prayer that you would build in us an endurance. Lord, that you would build in us 
what we need, Lord, to finish well the race of faith that you have called us to run in this life. Father, it's our prayer today that you would show us what it means to fix our eyes on you. And God, today, that you would develop within us a strength and an endurance that is beyond ourselves and greater than ourselves as we understand what it is that you've called us to do and who you've called us to run towards in this life. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And so the author of our text this morning gives us some unique insights into the race of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, specifically with regard to endurance. And so there's a lot here. He has a lot of thoughts for us today, and and I want to just jump right into it. So the first idea he sets up for us in this passage is this. He says, you didn't get here by yourself. You didn't get here by yourself. Uh, In his best-selling book, Outliers, uh, author Malcolm Gladwell writes about the concept, uh, uh, what he calls the American concept, he calls it the myth of the self-made man. He says this, this idea, this is a very American idea because we live in a society that is so individualized and we only think of ourselves individually as a unit and not the community around us. He says, in America, we have this myth called the myth of the self-made man. It's this idea that somehow the success and the accomplishments and anything we achieve or become in life is strictly a product of how hard we work and how how great our drive is for achievement. And so everything we do in life, we can credit back to ourselves. We can say, look who I've become. Look what I did. Look what I've accomplished on my own. And in this book, he begins to deconstruct that idea. And he says, listen, uh, uh, any person who's successful in life, if you actually take the time to examine their life and examine the context of their life and examine their family and examine the community that they grew up in and examine where their family line came from, you'll understand that there is an ancestry and a community that contributes to each one of us and, and uh, causes us to be who we are and where we are in our lives today. And really, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying as well. He's saying, you didn't get here by yourself. There is a, there's a spiritual ancestry. There is a spiritual community. There's a spiritual heritage that you have that has contributed to who you are and where you are today in your faith journey. And he goes back, and if you read Hebrews chapter 11, for those of you that are familiar with it, we often call this chapter the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the author goes through story after story after story of individuals who lived their lives by faith, who put their faith and their trust in God and who passed on the baton of faith to the next generation. And so at the beginning here of Hebrews chapter 12, he says, look who's gone before you. Look who's in the crowds now cheering for you. Look who's passed on the baton of faith to you now, to your generation, for your life, for your race, for what you have ahead of you. You didn't get here by yourself. You didn't get here by yourself. When I begin to consider why I am here today, I understand that I didn't get here by myself. I'm so grateful that in 1978, a man by the name of Clifford gave a Bible to my dad. My dad took that Bible home and he read it every night for six months. 
And at the end of six months, my dad's brother invited him to a church here in Syracuse, New York. And on that first day, my dad walked into church for the first time and he walked forward at the end of that service and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that decision, that passing on of the baton of faith has now affected my life. It's affected all five of my brothers and sisters. It's affected all of my children and hopefully my children's 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 children. It is a ripple effect throughout all eternity and generation after generation, passing on that baton of faith. You didn't get here by yourself. You didn't get here by yourself. Of course, if we took the time today, we could trace each one of our spiritual journeys back further. We could trace all of ours back to the move of the Holy Spirit on Azusa Street in the early 1900s. Or we could trace it back to the Moravian Revival in 1727. Or we could trace it back to the Protestant Reformation of 1517. I could go all the way through church history, all the way back to Hebrews chapter 11, to this great hall of fame of faith of people who passed on the baton of faith to the next generation so that you and I could have the privilege of knowing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our day today. You didn't get here by yourself. You didn't get here by yourself. Why is that important? We see the work of God in our lives, it it involves us, but it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. And the fact that you have a faith today, or maybe you're here and you don't have a faith today, but you're here today and you have the opportunity to receive faith in Jesus Christ, that opportunity was provided to you because people gave their very lives so that you could know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that we're about to celebrate Veterans Day as we we remember those who have given their lives and those who are, are sacrificing for the sake of our country and our nation. But there are people in scripture and all throughout history who have given their very lives so that you and I could know the gospel today as well. We didn't get here by ourselves. The second idea he sets up for us is this. He says, your race is unique. Your race is unique. You didn't get here by yourself, but your race is unique. He says, run with endurance the race God has set before us. Another version says, the race God has marked out for you. God has a unique race, a unique life of faith to live out for you. And it's it's not unique because you design it to be unique. It's unique because God designed it uniquely. And so if this is true, then I can't compare my race to anyone else's. I can't run somebody else's race for them I can only run the race that God has marked out for me. And this is why it is so important for each one of us to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's the truth. There is no one else who can hear God's voice for you on a daily basis and navigate the unique race that God has called you to run. Are you with me today? Now, some of you might say, well, hold on a second uh, there, Dan. Uh, uh, can't, we, can't we learn from others? Can't we get inspiration from others? Can't, I, can't we learn from spiritual leaders? Can't we have people speak prophetic words into our lives? Yes, all of that is true. But none of that replaces the personal responsibility that each one of us has to hear the voice of God on a daily basis and navigate the unique race that he has called us to run. Nobody else can do it for you because no one else is running the race you're running. Only you're running that race. God has a unique race marked out for you. I can 
certainly learn from others. I can look to others for inspiration. I can look at others for encouragement, but I can't compare because my race is unique. Do you know that there are things that God has designed for you since before the world was created that only you can do? Think about that for a moment. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, I am really scared that I'm going to miss it now. That's not my point. (laughs) Understand that before the world was created, God designed you and a unique race for you to run. Take a moment this morning and allow that to breathe a breath of freedom into your heart. Allow God to set you free from seeking approval. Allow God to set you free from trying to prove yourself. Allow God to set you free from trying to to work to convince anyone else or even yourself of your own value. God has a unique race designed for you. The third thought he gives us is this. He says, you can't get there in a day. You can't get there in a day. Now, none of us want to hear this, right? (laughs) None of us want to hear this. We live in a society that wants instant results. My son and I were having breakfast this morning, and I ordered a new uh, snow scraper on Amazon. And I said, ah, it'll be here Tuesday, just in time for the snow. And he goes, Tuesday? It's not going to get here tomorrow? (laughs) I said, well, it's prime. It's free two-day shipping, right? Right. We all want instant results. We want instant uh, gratification, right? And, and we serve a God, and I believe I've said this here in this church before, we serve a God who is miraculous and who can do the instantaneous miraculous, and God can do more in a moment than what we could ever do in a lifetime. However, when it comes to the work of God in our lives, that's typically the exception, not the rule, Usually when God works in our lives, it's a process. And and when it comes to God's process, good outcomes take time. They take time. Three years ago when uh, our family relocated back to Syracuse, my wife told me, she said, it's time to get our kids piano lessons. And so we put uh, our oldest three kids in piano lessons, and now we actually have our oldest four kids in piano lessons, so you can pray for me. Um, But we we started them out and... uh, uh, our oldest two kids, uh, my son Amos here and my daughter Audrey, uh, they started out at the same spot in their musical journey. And uh, quickly we learned that both my son and my daughter learned very differently. Uh, they had different styles of learning, different ways of processing information. And, and uh, my daughter is uh, very self-motivated. She's very self-disciplined. She, she gets her work done. She does it on time. She's very responsible. She is a lot like her father. And, uh, no. <laughs> um, but she just took off. And our, our teacher came back to us very quickly. She said, listen, I'd like to keep them at the same pace, but your daughter, she's just kind of going at her own pace. We've just got to let her, we've got to let her run with it. She's just going really fast. And so we said, fine, go ahead and do it. Now, meanwhile, my son Amos uh, learns very differently. He's very creative, but he doesn't like to sit still. He knows this, he'll tell you. <laughs> and, uh, and so, in the beginning, when he began to learn this information, it was very difficult for him. It was very uh, challenging for him to get through it, and he didn't like it, and he didn't want to do it. And I remember talking to my wife early on saying, are we wasting our money? Should we just maybe try something else? Maybe we should try drums. Maybe we should try something else. 
And she said, no, let's stick with it. Let's stick with it. Let's see what happens. And about a year and a half into piano, something switched in my son's brain. I can't tell you what it was because I don't understand it because he's very different from me. But all of a sudden, all the things that he had begun to learn and all the things that he would, had annoyed him initially, all of a sudden it all came together in his brain. And now he can play from his head just about anything he wants to play. And he plays two to three hours a day. And today, if I'm to go home today, my house is going to be filled with worship music all day long. And uh, yeah, <laughs> he's caught up to his sister, <laughs> which is an incredible thing, uh, which is no small thing. And, and I just look back and I say, well, what if we had quit early on? What if we had said, you know what? I don't think we're going to make it there. Let's just stop. We would never have received the beautiful gift that we have on the other side. And here's the truth. If we judge where we're going by what we have when we start, we may never take the first step. Are you with me? If we judge where we're going by what we have when we start, we may never take the first step. And so this life of faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You can't get there in a day. The author says, let us run with endurance. It's a long distance run. What does he mean? Their endurance in the Greek, it means a, a patient waiting, a patient enduring, a steadfastness, a cheerful endurance, a hopeful endurance. It means that even if I don't think I have everything I need when I start, even if it seems like I may never get there, I understand that God's work in me is not a work for the short term, it's a work for the long haul. And the work that he began in me, he'll be faithful to finish it in me. can't get there in a day. The next thought he gives us is this. He says, you can't take everything with you. You can't take everything with you. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Take a moment and just just imagine, if you will, for me, maybe in your own head you have a different picture than I do, but picture, picture a, a a sprinter versus a long distance runner and just the difference in what they look like, right? When I think of a sprinter, I, I think of Usain Bolt, right? Fastest man in the world for a long time, maybe not anymore, but he was for a very long time. He's, you know, Jamaican, just athlete, just incredible. He, when you look at him, he's just, he's chiseled, right? He's got just incredible muscles. His thighs are ridiculous, right? He is just, he is built for speed. He's fastest man in the world, fastest person to run a hundred meter dash. And if you didn't know Usain Bolt and you didn't know what he looked like and you'd never met him before, if you saw him out in public, you would look at him and say, that is an athlete. That is a gifted man. Now, on the other hand, think for a moment about the body of a long distance runner. They look very different, don't they? In fact, uh, if you saw them out in a grocery store, you may not even recognize that they were an athlete. They are skinny. Sometimes you can see their ribs. <laughs> their legs are toothpicks. They don't carry any of that extra muscle mass, any of that extra weight, any of that uh, extra stuff that, uh, that, that looks really impressive but doesn't do them any good. Why? Because they know that the extra weight only slows them down. They're not in it for the sprint. They're in it for the marathon. They're in it for the long haul. And the truth is, is that, is that if we had a choice between the physique of a sprinter 
and the physique of a long-distance runner, I think we'd choose the physique of the sprinter every time. But if we want to finish in a marathon and not a sprint, then it means we have to let go of some things. It means you can't take everything with you. The author of Hebrews says, let go of the things that are slowing you down. So what does he say slows us down? Well, first of all, he says sin slows us down. Sin slows us down. Now, if you understand the gospel message, you understand that because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, and if we receive uh, his sacrifice for us on the cross, then we know that he has taken for us the eternal penalty and eternal punishment associated with sin uh, from us. And so that when we stand before God, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our failure, he doesn't see our faults, he only sees the blood of Jesus Christ, right? That's the gospel message. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Now, if that's true, and if that's the case, if Jesus Christ has taken the penalty and the eternal punishment associated with sin away from us, then how come in this life we don't just do whatever we want to do? Right? If Jesus has taken care of the eternal problem, how come we don't just live however we want? Well, there's a lot of answers to that, and I won't go into all of them today, but the author of Hebrews here says very simply, he says one of the the most vital reasons we have to let go of sin is because sin slows us down. It keeps us from running the unique race that God has marked out for us. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ and he looks down on you and he sees you struggling with sin, he's not, he's not upset with you saying, oh, this person's going to lose their salvation before long. No, he's thinking to himself, you are, are slowing yourself down from running this unique, beautiful race that I have designed for you to run. Sin's slowing you down. keeps us from finishing well. It keeps us from running the unique race that God has marked out for us. And I'm so grateful that God has provided us access to his Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us the power to overcome, not just in the life to come, but here in our lives today. But the author of Hebrews, if we pay attention, he's saying more than this. He says, yes, sin slows us down, but it's not just sin that slows us down. What does he say? He says, uh, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So he's saying, if, if you start anywhere, yes, start with the sin, but there's more than sin that will slow you down. I think anyone who's ever done anything great with their lives understands this principle, is that there are good things in our lives that keep us from the best things in our lives. There are good things in our lives that keep us from the greatest things in our lives. And so, a great, honest, gut-level question for us to ask is this, what are the good things in my life that are slowing me down and keeping me from running the unique race that God has marked out for me? If we want to run and we want to finish well, if we want to be in this for the long haul, not just for the short term, then we can't take everything with us. The next idea he sets up for us is this. He says, your direction matters more than your speed. Your direction matters more than your speed. I think we've all seen people in our lives who 
who are fast movers, right? It seems like anything they, they want to do, they just they get there right away. They get there fast, and they just they climb the ladder. They, they, they get wherever they need to go so quickly, and it's so frustrating to see how, how incredibly fast people can move in life. But the truth is that in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, fast is good, but direction is better. How many of you know you can go fast in the wrong direction, and it doesn't do you any good because now you've got to go all the way back? It is, it is better to crawl in the right direction than to run in the wrong direction. And so for the follower of Jesus Christ, fast is good, but direction is better. And so what is, what is our direction supposed to be? Well, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, we run this race well by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The key to success in finishing well the race uh, in this life of faith, is a fixation on the person of Jesus Christ. It's not, a, it's not a fixation on morality. It's not a fixation on holiness and doing the right thing. It's not a, it's not a fixation on all uh, of the things that you have to do to, to make yourself look like you, you've got your life together. No, it's a fixation on the person of Jesus Christ. When your fixation is on the person of Jesus Christ, everything else falls into place. And, and, and the author here, he says, listen, he says, when you focus your life on the person of Jesus Christ, when you're moving in that direction, everything else will fall into place. So fix your eyes on Jesus. So am I fixing my eyes on him? Is the direction of my life pointed towards him? Is he just a side note in my life? Is he just a, a weekend hobby? Or is he the center of everything I build my life around? The truth is this, is that, that what we love determines our direction far more than what we believe. I'll say that again. What we love determines our direction far more than what we believe. And so there is a discipline in the Christian life of fixing our attentions and our thoughts and our desires on the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, every spiritual discipline that you can embrace in the Christian life, the purpose of those things are not to make yourself more, make yourself more righteous before God or prove yourself before God or earn any type of special favor before God. The purpose of every Christian discipline is to fix your heart in a greater way on the person of Jesus Christ and the beauty of Jesus Christ and the majesty of Jesus Christ and the wonder of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And when we begin to fix our hearts and our attention on that, he begins to change us in ways that we would never imagine. There is a spiritual discipline that I'm beginning to work on in my own life right now. And it, it sounds really silly, but this is, this, is, this is the spiritual discipline I believe God's given me right now. And that is this. Slow down. Slow down. It's not about how fast you're going. It's about what direction you're going. So slow down. And I'm so enjoying the moments now where I can slow down and say, okay, God, I see you here. I would have missed you if I was going too fast. I see this relationship you want me to invest in right now. I would have missed it if I was going too fast. Oh, God, I can see how you provided for me in this area of my life where I really needed it at the right moment. And if I was going too fast, I would have just ignored it. I would have just moved right past it. But God, you slowed down. I got to see you in that. 
Your direction matters more than your speed. When we begin to fix our attention on the person of Jesus Christ, he begins to do what we can't do on our own. He begins to help us to let go of those things that are holding us back. He begins to help us to see the unique path that God has set out for us, and he gives us the strength to finish and to finish well. The next thought he gives us, and, and this is probably the least fun point, but it's, it's here, so it's in the passage, so we're going to talk about it, and that is this, is that pain is your friend. Pain is your friend. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Pain in the life of faith is proof that our identity is as children of God. Are you with me today? Pain in the life of faith is proof that our identity is as children of God. The author says, look at what Jesus Christ went through on the cross. He says, look at the pain and the sacrifice that it takes to do anything good or meaningful. He says, look at how much effort parents go through to train their children and to discipline them and to walk them through painful moments so that ultimately they become who they were hoping their children would become. Pain is your friend. And when I think about pain, I think uh, in general there are two kinds of pain that we experience in our lives, right? Uh, on the one hand, there is pain that is simply the result of the brokenness of our world, right? There's pain that exists in our world because we live in a world that's broken. There's sickness, there's cancer, there's loss of a loved one, there's addiction, there's poverty, there's hunger, there's brokenness, so many things. These are just natural consequences of sin in our world. But scripture also tells us that there's another kind of pain that we experience, and, it, and that is pain that is the result of God's discipline being worked out in our lives so that we can become everything he designed us to be. But here's the truth. When we're going through moments of pain, we usually don't have time to differentiate between the two, do we? We, 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 when we're going through deep and difficult moments of pain, we don't step back and say, oh, is this pain that's a natural result of the brokenness of our world and the natural consequences of sin? Or is this pain that's being worked out from the discipline of God in my life? We, we don't take time to think that, do we? We just say, ouch, I don't want to go through this. But here's, here's the truth, and I don't mean to minimize any pain that any, any person in this room may be going through, but here's the truth and, and the, the deep truth of God about pain, and that is this. Both types of pain, properly processed, have the power to point our hearts towards Jesus Christ in a greater way. And so if the pain in my life has the power to point my heart towards Jesus Christ in a greater way, then no matter what kind of pain I experience, whether it's pain from the brokenness of, of our world or pain that's a result of the discipline of God worked out in my life, pain is my friend because it draws my heart to a greater understanding of the goodness of God and the person of Jesus Christ in my life. So pain is our friend. And here's what the author says. He says, if, if, pain, if the pain we're experience is, experiencing is from the discipline of God in our lives, then it's directly connected to the love of God in our lives, not the wrath of God. 
How many of you know that, that wrath and discipline are two very different things? The wrath of God is reserved for the enemies of God, but the discipline of God is reserved for sons and daughters of God. And so if we experience pain as a product of God's discipline, it's directly connected to our identity as children of God. God disciplines us because we are his children. He disciplines us so that we will become stronger. He takes us through seasons of struggle and uncertainty so that we learn to become fully dependent on him. Why? Because his ultimate goal is for us to finish well the race that he's marked out for us. The final thought he gives us here in this passage today is this. He says, you don't run alone. You don't run alone. He says, Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Another translation says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the initiator, the perfecter, the the author and the finisher of our faith. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ is the reason that you and I have a faith to begin with. He's the reason we even have faith to begin with. He's the reason we can have a relationship with God to begin with. And he says, listen, if I'm the one that started it in you, then I'm the one who's going to help you finish. If I'm the one who started it in you, then I am never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm not going to give up on you when you stumble and fall. In fact, when you are stumbling and falling and slowing down and not moving forward because you're holding on to all of those things that, that you think you have to have, but I know that you don't have to have, I will slow down and walk with you slowly to help you let go of those things. This is the God we serve. Jesus Christ is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He's the one who does it. He's the one who helps us to see the unique path that God has marked out for us. He's the one who works out his discipline in us so that we will become stronger. He is the champion who helps us finish. Aren't you grateful today that we have a God who loves us so much? that he gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, to overcome the colossal weight and wall of sin that separated us from God the Father. And he did it by giving us his very life on the cross. I love what the author of Hebrews says here. He says, Jesus Christ endured that cross. Why? For the joy that was awaiting him. And what was that joy? That joy was you joys me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we thank you for who you are. God, today it's our prayer, God, that you would give us perspective. God, as we begin to try to develop a strength and endurance to live out well this life of faith that you've called us to live. God, give us perspective. Help us to understand that that what you're doing in us involves us, but is bigger than us. We didn't get here by ourselves. We're so grateful, God, for all of the people and all of the individuals over the years and the centuries and even today who have invested in our lives and who have given us the opportunity 
to experience the love of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for that. God, today I pray that you would free us from the bondage of comparison. Free us from the bondage of seeking approval. God, help us to to see the unique path that you've called us to run and help us not to care what anybody else is doing or what anybody else thinks, but God, what you have called us to do and the race that you have called us to run. God, I pray that you would give us patience and endurance when things are moving slower than we'd hope. God, I pray that you would give us courage to let go of the things that we need to let go of those things that are slowing us down. God, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. God, work in us whatever you desire to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. God, help us to receive pain and painful moments as an opportunity to reorient our hearts towards you in a greater way. And Father, today we ask that you would make us more aware of your presence. God, assure our hearts of the truth that we are never alone. Assure our hearts, God, of the understanding that what you have begun in us, you will be faithful to finish. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. God, renew our trust and our hope in who you are and in what you want to do in and through our lives once more today. We give our lives to you one more time in Jesus' name.